Welcome back to the podcast. This is Andre and Vanessa from Beyond the Room with Professor Simon Gilbody from the University of York. Uh, Simon, we've known for decades that people with severe mental illness die 15 years, 20 years younger than everybody else, and it hasn't improved. Why is that? Well, I don't think there's been um, either the scientific basis to help us understand why that reduced life expectancy, that re- increased mortality exists, but um, neither has been the political or um, um, political will to understand that. So, and this seems to be shifting just in recent years. So, as you describe, Andre, you know this reduced life expectancy amongst people who use mental health services. That's languished in the too difficult box, but I think there is a growing acceptance that the mind and the body have got to be understood in tandem and the space that exists between physical and mental health is a really interesting scientifically interesting and um, clinically really important area so um, so this health gap that exists we're now beginning to understand what the important drivers of that might be and once we understand what some of the drivers might be we can begin to think about how we might intervene for that Um, so that process that developing a deeper understanding and then taking stock of the research that exists that might help us bridge that gap close that gap and then beginning to start to think about how we might innovate and how we might bring um, creative solutions to um, to closing that gap very much about what we do in this closing the gap network so we've not caused it the cloak called it the closing the gap network by accident it's right there that's our central purpose to try and reduce health inequalities for people who use mental health services so that's what we do so today's event is um very much to um celebrate and think more deeply about the interdisciplinary approaches that we might bring to understanding the nature of this problem so um the people who are helping us do that uh, people like myself, so um, people with a uh, background as a mental health professional, but also um, uh, uh, an, an epidemiology and um, public health pop- population science background. So um, that's one way in which we come into this. But um, we sit amongst a, a good people, good group of people here at the University of York and in some of our partner organisations for this network who've got very different backgrounds from um those which I have. So we've got really good environmental and geographical scientists. So they're really good at helping us understand um, how people who use mental health services, how they interact with their environments, you know, the ways in which um, they do or they don't use green space and physical activity. And there are loads of methods that we can borrow from elsewhere that have really come on in leaps and bounds over the last few years. So we want to innovate in this area to help understand people's levels of physical activity, what it is that stops them benefiting from some of the um, obvious attractions and um, uh, uh, opportunities afforded by the natural environment. So that's just a sort of quite a left field example of what we'll be doing within our closing the gap network and some of the considerations that we'll be um, uh, looking at in this afternoon's session so um, so environmental solutions we also want to understand um, this from uh, uh, an economic and a political perspective so um, working within um, our network are um, very good social epidemiologists and political scientists who um, understand what the broader economic, social and environmental drivers are for health inequalities across the population more generally. So um, 
the we know very well that um, social and economic disadvantage and the things that go with that so poor and precarious housing unemployment or precarious employment and um, the grinding um, uh, challenges faced by poverty day in day out the impact that that has on your physical health and your mental health is true right across the population but it's true in spades for people who use mental health services so we don't shy away from some of the more um, um, challenging things that we might discover and um, we seek to bring to bear economic and um, um, social epidemiological perspectives to think about um, what the drivers for health inequalities might in particular be um, for, for this section of the population. So we're very closely with my colleague, um, Professor Kate Pickett. She's not presenting this afternoon, but she's really wrote and written really important books about understanding the drivers of health inequalities in populations. She's a, got a, a best-selling book, The Spirit Level. So we're going to take those sorts of in- insights that Kate would bring. So, um, so that's one of the other ways in which we come to understand um, the health inequalities that exist and what the particular challenges might be for people who use mental health services. Um, we also seek to understand some of the um, important drivers for poor health across the population that seem to be particularly amplified within this section of the population. So smoking is an important source of um, poor health across the population, but we know that smoking rates are much higher amongst people who use mental health services, and there are lots of reasons why that might be. Um, but one of the broader successes that we've seen in the general population is the fact that population levels of smoking have come down year on year, such that um, the prevalence of smoking in the general population is now less than 15%. But amongst people who use mental health services, the um, prevalence of smoking is much higher. So why why might that be? So we seek to understand what the drivers of um, smoking might be amongst people who use mental health services. And that helps us and think about creative solutions and how we might use some of the things that we know work for the the more general population um, and how we might uh, adapt effective interventions so that they really meet the needs of people who use mental health services. So this has enabled us to um, start to intervene for some of the important modifiable risk factors for poor health within the general population. So smoking is a good example of um, some of the early successes that we've had within our collaborative. But um, the other things that drive poor health within the general population also seem to be overrepresented in uh, amongst people who use mental health services so um, uh, inactivity and obesity really big problems about um, uh, for drivers of poor health in the general population but particularly relevant for people who use mental health services and um, there are lots of important drivers for that you know we sit within um, what's sometimes called an obesogenic environment where um, um, Poverty sometimes drives you to use uh, calorie-dense food, which is sometimes the cheapest form of food. Um, it's really difficult to walk rather than to um, um, to, to um, take passive forms of transport. Um, some of the food that's made available is not great, and we know that some of the side effects of psychotropic medications cause you to put weight on. So that's a really challenging area to work. So we're starting to begin to understand in some detail about the nature of the issues of, um, of weight and obesity amongst people who use mental health services, and we hope that in time that will enable us to um, build some interventions either at the individual level or the service level or at the population level that might be 
helpful in trying to mitigate the crisis and the epidemic of obesity and type 2 diabetes for this section of the population. So that's a really important contributor to um, um, to poor health and health inequalities for people who use mental health services. We can't shy away from that, really challenging issues, but um, we know from our work in smoking, but by working and forming partnerships with people who use services, then you can begin to chip away and um, deepen your understanding and in time come up with interventions by uh, methods of co-production such that in time you can demonstrate the benefit of those interventions to help um, mitigate the um, health inequalities that exist. So um, lots of ways into this. So I've been speaking for a while now. Mm. Yeah, no, I just think it's brilliant. I'm really inspired by it, really. Just the, um, well, two things in particular, the interdisciplinary focus that you've talked about because we know for too long there's been much too much of a focus on sort of medical model and a very narrow definition around kind of um, what will um, you know what motivates someone to smoke or to go outside and walk and things like that. And I think um, the other thing for me is just the way that you positive this works positively advocating for people with severe mental illness who normally just aren't part of the conversation at all. So the way that the research is co-produced the way that people have having, having a voice that they wouldn't have a voice traditionally and the results that they, you're then getting by involving those people that are very different from some of the cultural assumptions that have been made for a long time. So it's not really a question, it's more of a, an observation on the work you're doing and why I think it's really important. I think it's also really interesting that you talk about change at an individual level and a service level and a societal level. Mm. And I think obviously there's different um, interest um, in, in the parties that would make those changes. You know, government may be less interested and, I don't know, health services may be interested in some areas and not not so much in other areas. It feels like the, the impetus has been with the individual for a long time with this question. You know, stop smoking, yes. eat sensible food, exercise properly, come on. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, for, in my mind, a lot of the harm that is being caused is coming from the system. Um, people are being re-traumatised mm. or people are not getting access to services at all yeah. or people are being, um, you know, dosed up on all sorts of combinations of medication that they shouldn't be and as an effect, physical health problems. Mm. So what should we be doing as a system? How should we be prioritising those system changes? Uh, really interesting, really challenging. Um, the um, uh, A lot of public health focus for better or for worse, just at the moment, just tends to focus on individual behaviour change. And whilst that's very powerful for individuals, as you say, Andre, um, that doesn't address some of the more fundamental, more entrenched, more difficult to shift um, drivers of poor physical health. And often that requires organisational and political will. So um, one of the things we're really keen to do is engage with decision makers to um, ensure that some of the research evidence that we um, we identify or that we generate um, feeds into policy change. And um, so um, we work very closely with um, uh, colleagues at the Equality Trust. And the Equality Trust have um, been um, uh, very influential in taking some of the scientific observations about the drivers of health inequalities at, um, at, uh, uh, within the research community and using that for leverage um, amongst um, political actors and policy makers. And um, they're helping us, going to help us do that with some of the work that we, um, we, we um, do within the Closing the Gap Network. So we're very much aware of how you change, we're very keen to learn about how you change things at that macro or that policy at that 
um, and political level and um, we can see that that's really exciting but also going to be really challenging so it's going to be quite a journey so um, we're keen to sort of let you know how we get on with that so good luck with that but you know we do see the political will to challenge the um, the obesogenic environment just at the moment we had the former chief medical officer talking um, in quite um, forthright terms about how we might tackle the epidemic of childhood obesity and um, that's not just about telling kids to stop eating sweets it's um, mm-hmm. it's more challenging so um, we, we we take notice of some of the political will to ask difficult questions just at the moment I remain optimistic that we might be able to um, effect change at that mm-hmm. macro and that social and that um, 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 and policy level and um, but I'm, I'm fully aware of the challenges that might be entailed with that so a really important part of our collaboration and our network are people um, who um, understand some of the um, um, some of the drivers and some of the um, the barriers that exist to change at that um, at that wider societal level but I, I just want to pick up on um, some of the Vanessa said so one of the things that we've um, we've been um, really keen to um, um, do is engage not just with traditional sort of academics but also the colleagues that we've got within the network from the um the creative arts and humanities as well so Brilliant. we're in beautiful yorkshire i know we've got a few yorkshire folk in the room today <laughs> so um um, one of the the, the jewels in the crown of the sort of Yorkshire cultural heritage is the Yorkshire Sculpture Park, for example. Yeah. So one of the nice local collaborations that we've um, encountered and a sort of uh, willing partners are amongst people from such places. So we've got a strong partnership forming with the Yorkshire Sculpture Park to try and think about how people who use mental health services might more readily access and feel more welcome in places that have got brilliant cultural milieu but we're also surrounded in really beautiful countryside so finding ways that we can bridge that gap so think Mm -hmm. of sort of you know the different multifaceted ways in which we might um, try to address health inequalities for this group so we're coming at this from all angles so Mm -hmm. it's not just hard numbers people like myself but also people from um, the creative arts and um, um, cultural um, uh, heritage community are also very keen to work with us and um, they're acutely aware of the fact that sections of the population feel excluded from such cultural assets so this is you know personally a very gratifying area for me to work in and this way in which we form new partnerships is, is also very exciting so we're keen to you know see, see how that develops and also track the benefits that might um, um, be afforded by such partnerships as well so um, so yeah brilliant and people that are interested in the network the closing the gap network tell us a little bit about what's happening with that have you got calls for funding out how can people collaborate on projects yeah so we're just in our first year the five-year program of research and uh, we are building the network just at the moment so if you're interested in getting involved in the closing the gap network so have a look at our twitter presence so uh ctg network uk and um, you've got some links in there to our website if you want to join our network find out more about what we do and hear about the events that we've got planned over the next couple of years that would be the best portal to do that you can get um, on our email list and we do have funding calls come out periodically we've got one um, that has just closed and we've got another one coming up in 12 months where we um we are um, uh, custodians of uh, not a huge amount of money, but um, uh, and not insignificant amount of money to help people who want to do more research and engagement in this area. If you come to with with good ideas, then we can help you work those up into scientifically plausible 
pieces of work that will generate new evidence and it will enable us to go in new directions in this area. So we're really excited about the funding calls that are coming around um, closing the gap network and in time um, using this as a platform and a forum by which we communicate some of the good work that we identify in this area but also the new work that becomes um, uh, enabled by um, the network. So um, we see this as a journey and we're just at the beginning of that journey and you know by the end of five years we hope there'll be a legacy new research and a connected community of people who are also interested in looking at innovative solutions to reducing health inequalities in this population brilliant really exciting work it's great to see it happening Mm -hmm. here in york thanks a lot for sharing it with us good thank you very much 